0: Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. I'm Richard Roper. Very exciting post-Emmy show. We're not talking about somebody named Emily or Emma. (laughs) No, this is really the Emmy spelled with two Ms. There were a lot of weird jokes, a lot of weird moments. And we are going to recap them all in this post-pandemic, super sensitive, we're afraid to say or think anything outside of anybody's box Emmy world.
1: The nice thing is... That even if we go over 45 seconds, we don't get the signal to wrap it up (laughs) and then spend 20 seconds talking about how you got the signal to wrap it up.
0: Yeah. There's so
1: much to talk about.
0: Stay right here. Let me just tell you first that the Rowan Roper podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes For web design, web development, e commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, it all drives your overall business success, doesn't it? That's what you need. Everybody needs these things today, and AmericanEagle.com can provide any of them. Your online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. Welcome
1: to the Emmys. Yeah. All right, the Emmy Awards, Sunday night. Uh, You mentioned how strange it was, too, because they, first of all, they had a host, like they used to do in the old days, an actual host, Cedric the Entertainer, and I've always said I admired Cedric the Entertainer. I actually do love him. He's great, because his business card will let you know what he does for a living. He's Cedric (laughs) the Entertainer. True. Like, you know, Jimmy the Blacksmith back in the day. And then they had a live audience for the first time. Well, I guess for the Oscars, they had sort of a, in the train station, they had some folks, the nominees, but this was a more raucous gathering, full red carpet. Mm -hmm. Everybody on top of each other. Everybody on top of each other, which Seth Rogen pointed out. He claimed that he thought it was going to be an outdoor event, and he said it was a super spreader. And then somebody else had to come on, Cedric, and said, well, you know, everybody's been checked out. Everybody's been double vaxxed. We're all following protocols. And then they had a whole group across the pond The London Contingent, where it must have been like, what, two in the morning or something uh, in London. And it was always weird because, of course, they won a lot because they always do, right? The Crown and shows like that. And every time somebody in England won, it was like when you go to a football game and there's only 2,000 fans for the other team because everybody in Los Angeles was like, ah, shit, we didn't win again. (laughs) And then there's like 40 people in London. Yes, we won for everything. Everything I tell you. There's a lot going on with the costumery, if you will. I don't know if that's the term. I don't think it is. And, you know, listen, it's Hollywood. And I think a lot, of these, a lot of these stars now, male and female, want to do something different and outrageous. So they're way over the top. It's We're kind of past the days of like, oh, this is a Versace or a Vera Wang or the tux by Armani. Even Jason Sudeikis, who won Best Actor for Ted Lasso, was in a blue velvet crushed suit like a crushed velvet suit i have to say something i had that
0: suit in brown yeah when i was getting ready for my eighth grade graduation It doesn't look comfortable. It's not. It's Uh, really heavy and it's really hot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you get a lot of, listen, and to me, it's like, you know, people on the the Twitterverse and some of the social media, you know, all Sunday night long, ripping the Emmys. And I'm like, go watch the Chiefs take on the Ravens if you don't want to watch this. There's football or go out and do something. You know, to me, like hate watching the Emmys. Yes, it's self-indulgent. And some of the speeches, again, I think these actors missed um, the moment to be self-congratulatory. In front of a live audience and a television audience. By the way, the ratings were up quite a bit, about 20% from last year. I think because, again, last year there was this awkward ceremony with no people in the crowd right. and everything. The fact that it was back to a, you know, a red carpet and seeing all these beautiful people in their insanely ridiculous costumes. Right, to say uh, some insanely, uh, insanely going, ridiculous things then, at times. And getting up there and, and yeah, listen, you win a, a major award, good for you. I was a little surprised. To see that even Kate Winslet, who has an Academy Award and is you know one of the great actresses of our time, and, and good for her, she was beside herself. She was nuts up there thanking everybody and you know and talking about her husband and her kids and all that good stuff. And like I said, <laughs> they keep telling people to you know you've got like to wrap it up, and they all have to tell us that they were told to wrap it up, and we know. So wrap it up with wrapping it up.
0: I like though when the Hollywood producers go, turn that off, turn that off. I'm not, you stop playing the music. Yeah. I'm in charge here. When yeah, they're not in charge of that guys, show, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a crazy kind of conceit. But I think there's a really good reason that ratings are up high and that there's interest and that Kate Winslet is losing her mind about winning an Emmy sure. because this is the golden age of television. More people yes. watched televised product in the last year than in any year in human history. They That's were stuck point. at home. Yeah. There's uh, there, You now have Netflix and Hulu and all the rest of those over the top Channels, you've got 1 million mm. cable channels. If you still want to subscribe to that, there's a billion ways, and I mean that sincerely, billion, yeah. there's a billion different products you can watch. And when you're stuck at home for a year during a pandemic or now, you're sort of in the pattern of living like that. Yeah. So yeah. that's where we are. And I would argue there has never been greater production in values, in writing, and acting, and all of those things. The television product has never been been better than it is it competes almost every single day with film i you know when you watch stuff that are these series whether it's you know the sopranos kind of opened up the entire genie's bottle to this Mm -hmm, back in the early 2000s 20 years ago actually even the late 90s i should say then you go from that To, you know, where we have come, this episodic television or anthology television, as they call it, because now they had to come up with a whole new set of words to describe this. But those kinds of shows, you think about the production that went into those shows and now the shows today. I mean, we could name a hundred of them off the top they have the same production values as some of the great movies yeah. of the 70s, yeah. 80s, 90s. Very and
1: true. Uh, Game of Thrones, every episode, was a feature film, essentially, that right. was put on television. You also make a great point, Ro, in terms of the audience because you know, the Academy Awards, in their prime, the Titanic year of 1997, I think, is the all-time record viewership, and ever since then, it's gone down. Well, you know, that's partially because everybody went to see Titanic, and increasingly over the years, the smaller films are up for awards that's why they expanded the best picture nominations to 10 nominees so films like black panther could be included if not winning but for the audience at home i hear this from people all the time and i completely get this they're like i haven't seen almost any of the nominated films or performances when the academy awards come out so they're like i'll watch it for you know the big categories at the end but i don't care but for the tv categories for the emmys you know, millions upon millions of people actually have a rooting interest because they're like, oh man, I love Bridgerton. I hope it's this, you know, this is going to get recognized this year. And then other people are like, oh my gosh, Gene Smart in Hacks, incredible. I'm so glad she won. And then the, you know, the big shows, you know, including, of course, The Crown. I think like seven different people have won for playing the same queen at different points. <laughs> right. The I Crown. Know. You know, I know. You know. Olivia Coleman, she just wins all the time, even if she's not on this year's episode. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. We have fought a war, so we don't have to care about I'm her. I'm crowned out, quite frankly. And I know that sounds like someone just gave birth. You know, something a doctor would say. But I but I personally, recognizing how good it is, and I think they're doing one more season. They're up to Princess mm-hmm. Diana right. or in the early stages. And it is, it's, it's beautifully done. But, you know, I, again, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Now, Bridgerton was a completely different take, you know, historical fiction. I want to talk about some of the categories and get your reaction. Okay. One of the things that I found very interesting, so Hannah Waddingham won for Ted Lasso, supporting actress. She plays the owner of the football club, the soccer team, right? And she's wonderful, and she's a great actress. I. This is what the kids say these days. I was today years old when I learned <laughs> that Hannah Waddingham was the nun in Game of Thrones who cried, Shame, shame shame yep. to Cersei Lannister Lena Headey the great actress who played Cersei sent out a loving Instagram note cuz believe it or not sometimes these rivals on screen are friends in real life hmm. but yeah she was i mean she's had a great career for so many of these actors on that show Brett Goldstein won for playing Roy Kent who's I think everybody's favorite character on Ted Lasso. He, great character. Uh, always swearing, you know, what the fuck is this ice cream for my <laughs> niece? <laughs> you know, he's great. But uh, now, were you happy to see Ted I, Lasso uh, and, uh, oh. and Jason Sudeikis one oh, as well? Oh, yeah.
0: I was, I was happy for the entire thing because it is... It's contraventional television because it's old school. Mm-hmm. It's happy. It's about something important. Now, this season's a little bit more artistically wide than the last season, and there are some unhappy things. They're bringing in uh, some peccadillos and, mm. and personal problems that some of the characters have and, and kind of navigating their way through that yeah. to make it real and a little less sappy. But it still kind of combines the the fun sappy with that I appreciate what they're trying to do there. I know there's been some criticism of this season, but I am all for it. I will say about, uh, what is her name again? Who won?
1: It's it's, uh, Wadding Hannah Waddingham.
0: Hannah Waddingham. This is what I will say about her. She sang in an episode last season and then again in this season. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this has got to be some gigantic British West End theatrical star Mm. because there was reaction to her uh, in terms of you know social media content and things like that and that people must know her and we don't here in the United States and that's 100% true mm-hmm. as it turns out she's a gigantic star there because of her stage
1: work yeah absolutely that happens a lot where we find out the, the thing about the the great british actors and people have noticed this before too we always think they're better just because they sound better yeah. you know and but there's a great great roster but there seems to be 30 of them total and when it comes to <laughs> film and tv and they all have been on either Downton Abbey or Game of Thrones. Right. You, when you see them now, you're, it takes a while sometimes because in both cases we're talking about period pieces. Downton Abbey set in the 1920s primarily, and Game of Thrones set—I don't know when exactly, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the 70s. Uh-huh. It Seems to be a long, long time ago in a, in a different world. So a lot of times they have the wigs and the costumes and everything, and then you see them in a modern production piece, and it takes you it takes you a while to realize that this, you know, gorgeous glamorous team owner was the nun that said, shame,
0: shame, <laughs> shame. It's a long way to get to that. Yeah, but, but I, I love would that say part. that that is a show. If you've not seen it, watch it. It's the antidote to what everything is right now. It is not super serious. It's got an uplifting texture to it, and you, you just really root for Almost all of the characters. Yeah,
1: that's what I like about it. I mean, you know, there's, there's occasionally, you know, the villainous, the abusive dad who, you know, picks on Jamie Tartt, his son, and, you know, mocks him and stuff, but they're peripheral characters. I mean, it's a workplace comedy. It's in the same tradition of Barney Miller and Cheers and The Office, right. just happens to have this kind of soccer angle. I think it has the potential to have a very long run. Jason Sudeikis has said it's planned for three seasons. Maybe, and he might be right because they might get in danger. Of repeating themselves at some point. And if we get three brilliant seasons, then everyone who's complaining about season two will complain <laughs> that there aren't enough seasons. You know, to stay happy for more than three
0: seasons, for more than 30 episodes, yeah. might be kind of tough. Yeah. And that's a good moment. This is a, a zeitgeist moment that people will be looking at 5, 10, 20 years from now back at this really awful dark moment in American and world history and say, wow, that was a really nice antidote.
1: I also wanted to talk to you, Ro, and get your take on Outstanding Variety Talk series. Uh, the nominees were Conan. And Conan O'Brien, uh, you know, people were loving it yesterday, but I thought it was a little odd. He really wanted to get attention. You know, he jumped on stage at one point with Colbert's staff when they went for writing. Uh, he did this salute to the president of the TV Academy, which kind of was funny, but then that guy was talking about how Debbie Allen was a groundbreaking performer and artist so it seemed a little inappropriate but okay whatever outstanding variety talk series the nominees were Conan the late show with Stephen Colbert the daily show with Trevor Noah Jimmy Kimmel live and then the winner was last week tonight with John Oliver and here's my take on this and I would love to hear yours it's not fair all those other shows have to put out a brand new show every single night, five nights a week, right, right? Right. And last week with John Oliver, which is brilliant. I mean, and he is amazing. And if you haven't watched it, he you know, he does just incredible takedowns of all of the corporations and pompous assholes and everybody else who should be taken down. And then just really funny takes on local news. They have a whole week to do that show. That seems like a like it, it's not a balanced and fair playing field.
0: Right. To do thirty minutes as opposed to five hours. Right. Is not, you're 100% right. And there should be a separate category for that weekly versus daily shows. Yeah. He should be up against uh, Bill Maher and shows like that that are right. on once a week. And you could do that because there are enough categories. Yes. In the Emmys, and they keep expanding the categories in the Emmys. You could do that. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the live broadcast. As a matter of fact, you could do that and then ditch some of the other categories that were in the live broadcast because I could have missed those. (laughs) Now, I will say this about John Oliver. It's another one of the self-hating Americans versus the British thing. We go, you know what? It must be better because he's got a British accent. That's what it comes down to.
1: It is interesting that this never used to be this way. Other than like a David Frost once in a while would come from across the pond and do a show on PBS, and he'd but, win Emmys for and it. And he would always win too. And he was he was great. David Frost was brilliant, but. In recent years, there's been more and more of this where we're importing Craig Ferguson, who I believe is Scottish, actually, mm-hmm. and then James Corden, yep. who's in every musical as well as <laughs> uh, doing the karaoke thingy. Yeah, uh, he's a talk show host, and John Oliver. But it's that we don't send anybody over there, do we? I mean, is there like a is there an opening? Is, well, I'm just wondering. Like, but I don't think there are American talk show hosts in Great Britain that I know of. Yeah, we, they don't want us. I
0: found that interesting until I watched those two shows you just mentioned Thought, my God, these guys are great. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how it was that they got green lit in the United States and there wasn't enough other talent in the United States to carry talk shows. Because, you know, there are. But we've really even become so single laned in terms of that in the United States. We are now looking at. Audiences very specifically. We look at age demographics, we look at racial demographics in terms of how these American shows are being targeted. Cultural dynamics, you're looking at sort of broad heartland versus urban audiences yeah. and things like that. I mean it's a it's crazy how they do it. It because we had an agreed upon reality as Americans before. This is going to be my big sociological speech that I oh, give boy. every hour on the hour to anybody who Fantastic. will listen. I'm like standing on a street corner screaming, and then We're I like get, get the arrested. Playoff
1: music for you, but right. But right, hold
0: on. But here's the point: is that <laughs> we used to have an agreed upon reality in the 20th century because we watched the same four channels, right? Yeah, and everybody yeah. had the same shows and and had the, the, whether you liked it or not, you either watched, you know, 60 Minutes and you had rooted for it or you're yeah. rooted against it or Walter Cronkite or whatever the hell it was. Now, everybody can choose their own lane and even more so now than even two years ago or five years ago because you've got social media channels and now people are just stuck in their own little silos of what they want to believe as opposed to An agreed-upon reality. And that's Mm. what we find in American television, is that they're now trying to slice that pie because you still make a lot of money if you get a million people viewing as opposed to 40 million viewing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of it is about what you're going to get to go viral. I mean, Jimmy Fallon's entire approach, which is a smart one, is to get on YouTube and get 2 million, 3 million hits of the skit he did the night before where he imitated Bruce Springsteen with Bruce Springsteen. Uh, And to your point, you're right. There was a time really not, it's just like one generation removed. You know, The Tonight Show was the, you know, the unprecedented, unparalleled, unrivaled king with Johnny Carson for 30 years. And then you had David Letterman as the kind of upstart. And there were all these other shows, Dick Cavett and Joey Bishop and all these pretenders and contenders. But then for a long time, it was really Leno and Letterman. It was those two shows. Those were the kings of late night. Leno usually got the better ratings. Letterman always got the better reviews. And that rivalry which was all about who was going to get the tonight show at first. That went on for like 20 some years where it was really just them. Now, first of all, I don't think it matters. The tonight show, Jimmy, it's the Jimmy Fallon show. It you know, it's no longer the tonight show. Right. But as you mentioned, you've got you know, Jimmy Kimmel's probably doing the closest thing to the traditional late night talk show. Monologue, guests, skits, Yeah, he'll do some remotes, but James Corden is doing these, you know, production numbers where they're on Hollywood Boulevard with the cast of cats and, you know, carpool karaoke and Jimmy Fallon does all. You know, you got to play a game on there if you're a celebrity, you know, eat this disgusting food or sing a song or some shit. I don't know. And then Seth Meyers, who's very, very smart. And then there's Colbert, who's no longer doing a character, but is doing himself so to speak, you know, doing a lot of political commentary that's very sharp. And then there's Amber Ruffin and there's Samantha Bee. And until recently there was Conan. So to your point, there must be 15 or 18 late night talk shows out there. And there's never going to be that dominant show that everybody watches in bad like they used to watch the Johnny Carson Tonight Show or even right. Leno or Letterman. It's just a different era.
0: We're just split up. And now we're split up amongst all of these different things, and and people can watch what they want to watch watch, and they agree with, and there's a lot of content for people. And then we're being trained now to hate anything that we don't like, because the people that we associate with on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it happens to be, they are telling us don't like this. And we're tribalizing, not geographically, we're tribalizing digitally. And I don't know where that ends. And I don't feel comfortable with where it is now. And I certainly hope that we can start to have a shared reality. Even though the reality that we're talking about, the people all shared from television from 1950 to the year 2000, that was a made-up reality as well. Things weren't as pretty or as bad as we made them out to be during that 50-year span. But now the realities are without any sort of of basis in fact (laughs) there are people just making shit up and saying this is the way it's gonna be. If you take this, this'll happen to you. If you vote this way, if you do that, I hate you. You hate me. It's like it's so crazy. And it again, it's it's even scarier because at least there was an, an ethic. There was this idea of fair play and, you know, try to make the world better than the place you found or, or try to be kind to your neighbors or to your family, and that doesn't even count anymore. That shit's straight out the window. So we need to go back to something. I don't know how we get there, but the Emmys are certainly an example. They brought I us think in a lot of ways. Even if you hate-watched it, they brought right. us
1: together. And, and very quickly, to just... Um, Uh, Again, Mayor of Easttown was a winner, Kate Winslet, and in other categories. I was a little surprised that Ewan McGregor won for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series or Movie. He played Halston. Mm -hmm. He was a car salesman, right? Halston? No, a fashion guy, right? (laughs) Right, yes. Uh, But I really thought, well, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Leslie Odom Jr. were up for Hamilton. That's the filmed version of the Broadway play from like four years ago, and it still keeps getting nominated for things. But I feel people think they've won enough, Right. But I thought it would be either Paul Bettany for WandaVision or Hugh Grant for The Undoing. But if you'll notice, there you know a bunch of foreigners except for <laughs> Lin Manuel and Leslie there. So, and then Olivia <laughs> Colman won for The Crown. Yeah, of course. Uh, Ted Lasso, outstanding comedy series. I still don't know why Cobra Kai was in there. They're beating the shit out of each other on every episode. I didn't know it was a comedy. The Crown won for drama series, mm-hmm. uh, as we expected. And as we a show we loved, uh, the Queen's Gambit did win for outstanding limited series. Was
0: so happy about that because I I thought that Anya Taylor Joy, who was the lead actress in that, gave the performance of a lifetime in that film. And I just felt as though there was a miss there when she didn't win Best Actress because Olivia Colman has won over and over and over again. We're
1: tired of that. Anya Taylor-Joy, and this is where it gets confusing too, and the hosts kept getting confused on what's an anthology series, what's a limited series or a movie. Anya Taylor-Joy was in the category against Kate Winslet for Lead Actress in a Limited Series or Movie. I I don't know. I guess Drama Series because The Crown has many seasons. I guess that's the difference. Limited, but it's very confusing. And I love Kate Winslet. I thought the mayor of Easttown was good, not great, solid. She was wonderful in it. But I, I agree with you. We talked about the Queen's Gambit when it came out. We both said, like, give her the Emmy now. And I, that was probably the biggest upset of the night that Anya oh, Taylor yeah. Joy didn't win.
0: And you could see it on her face. That was the sad part of it. And you know, listen, Kate Winslet is Kate Winslet. Yeah. Kate Winslet will work for the rest of her life. I think Anya Taylor Joy probably will as well. Yeah, she will. But. but- that, yeah, you're right is, about that. This is a moment. This is a coming out moment, and that was a complete mess. I I thought.
1: think we're going to go to the states of Ohio, uh, Georgia, and Arizona <laughs> for a recount on that. So, Anya Taylor-Joy, stand by. <laughs>
0: reminding you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you in part by Portillo's, known for their famous Chicago hot dogs, all the freshest, tastiest ingredients, right down to the poppy seed bun, and, of course, their legendary chocolate cake. But that is just the beginning, my friends. The menu is bursting with a mouth-watering variety of favorites from charbroiled burgers to Italian beef sandwiches, cheese fries, chopped salads. Chicago-land favorite since 1963, when we all agreed that Portillo's was excellent in 1963. We still do. If you live in the Midwest, you know all about it. If you live in Florida, California, and Arizona, you're just getting to know about it. If you don't live in any of those places and you want to get it, go to Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Portillo's.com. Well, it's a Tuesday, so we're going to do the Tuesday 2 as opposed to the Thursday 3. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a
1: lean week. I mean, there are tons of things out there, streaming and in, in theaters row, but not a lot of great stuff. So we thought we'd reverse things around a little bit. But as we uh-huh. head into October, you know, we just talked about how the Emmys have kind of returned to their original form with a live audience and better ratings and a host and everything. The good news is, barring some horrible uh, development, the same thing is happening with movies. We're seeing more and more theaters get up to full capacity. Yes, you might have to wear a mask. Yes. I don't think in most cases, I've not heard a lot of restrictions where you have to show proof of vaccination. But I do know that in the Chicago area here, I've been to several theaters. Uh, the mask mandates are in place. But yeah. the movies are coming out one after another. We've got big, big movies coming out in the months and weeks to come. So in a couple of weeks, you and I are going to be talking about The Many Saints of Newark, which is oh, the uh, wow. Sopranos story, as they're calling it, kind of a prequel. And I have news for you, Rokan, that I know is going to make you very happy. Okay, It is finally time to die. No time to die. The much-delayed <laughs> Daniel Craig final james bond movie will be playing wide in american theaters across the country on october 8th i'm seeing it next week and you and i are going to do a very special james bond program bro knows so much more than i do about the james bond movies and the history of the bond films and we're going to have some great behind the scenes stories in a couple of weeks
0: may i ask this question watching now the commercial market for this film, and you're seeing all the advertising coming out for it and all the integrations into other advertising products, which has really been going on now for, like, 30 years for the Bond films when they come out, is that, you know, there's a vodka, there's a this, there's a that. All of a
1: sudden he's drinking, like, beer.
0: Right. (laughs) I don't know why that is. Uh, But they've worked it out because James Bond – the franchise isn't just a bunch of movies. It's a lifestyle, and it's become right. this brand, international brand that works on so many different levels, and we'll talk about all of that when we do the yeah. the Bond podcast. But uh, <laughs> the thing that gets me is they keep talking about this being the end, the end of Bond. And I know it's not the end of Absolutely Bond because we, we know that they're already in pre-production on another film. Yep. They haven't announced who the – actor or actress is who's going to be playing James Bond. It could be a woman. There's a lot of different rumors about where that's going to go. But I can just tell you now that the Broccoli family that owns that franchise Mm -hmm. is not going to
1: let it go. No, no, And they're
0: misleading us like they're going to kill. And I really hope they don't kill James Bond. I understand that this is the last of this series
1: because... Daniel Craig has decided he wanted to move on and I he's right he goes listen I'm you know he's in great shape but he's like James Bond should be 35 not in his early 50s there's a great viral video out there of Daniel Craig on the last day of the set, still wearing the tux, saying thank you because most of the production crew was with him for all these films he's mm-hmm. done that have spanned you know a decade and a half, and it's very sweet. And you know he's a great guy, and it's sort of it's because you're used to seeing Daniel Craig being Daniel Craig. So when you see him, I don't think Bond ever cried, you know, but you see him doing it, and it's very <laughs> nice and very sweet, and it's it's lovely to see that when the star thanks everybody who's been with him and ha- and has helped him through these years.
0: Bond cried once. oh did he? Yep.
1: What? what see, when was it? Save time. it for. Yeah. That's what you always pop. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: And I know Bondophiles will know. There okay. was a moment. That and it was and it was done specifically to show him shedding a single tear.
1: Okay. All right. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Here's something you should avoid. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. in the what not to watch category, there's a film coming out called The Starling on Netflix. Melissa McCarthy, we love her. She's proved through the years she can do comedy and drama. This is mostly a drama with a sprinkling of comedy. She plays a woman who lost her baby a year prior to SIDS and is dealing with that grief while her husband, played by Chris O'Dowd, Chris O'Dowd is the wonderful Irish actor. You might remember him as the cop in Bridesmaids, but he's done a ton of stuff. Well, he had a nervous breakdown and tried to kill himself, so he's in a mental health care facility and Melissa McCarthy's on her own and she decides that she's going to uh, start a garden at her front yard and she keeps getting bothered by this pesky starling, an actual starling that keeps attacking her. And the starling of course is a very protective species of bird, type of bird I should say. Uh, that uh, is building a nest. So there's all these metaphors all over the fucking place about how the Starling, you know, is not meant to be alone and neither is Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. And then there's Kevin Kline, who I love, and he plays a kindly veterinarian who just happened to used to be a psychoanalyst, so he kind of helps her through this. And this is from the director of Hidden Figures. It's got this great cast that also includes uh, David Diggs, from blind spotting, and also he was in Hamilton, Timothy Oliphant. They're all wasted in this nonsense story that's Aww. so heavy handed. And at the end, I was kind of rooting because she puts on a football helmet because the starling keeps attacking her. And I was like, just shoot the starling, you know, put us <laughs> out of our misery. So, one of those well intentioned, melodramatic films yeah. that is actually a real misfire. One of the worst movies of the year. Wow the starling and with that incredible cast yeah and and uh the, the, you know the director's got some great credentials the screenwriter does the cast is terrific uh and it just it just doesn't come together at all
0: you think 30 Not years enough. from now people will be listening to this podcast and saying you know they were totally wrong it's one of the great classics no I,
1: there's no, no okay. chance all right no chance at all the okay. tuesday two mm-hmm. i got a couple for you these are both really really interesting there's a cnn documentary coming out called the lost sons now, this is the true story. In Chicago in 1964, an infant, a newborn infant, just like 12, 14 hours old, was kidnapped from Michael Reese Hospital. Taken, uh, Someone came in dressed as a nurse and said, I'm going to take the baby to see the doctor. And it took a few hours before everybody realized the baby was gone. And it became this sensational case. FBI agents from around the country, national publicity, newspaper headlines, Four months about this kidnapped baby. 18 months later, the FBI finds uh, an infant, well, a, a, you know, someone who looks to be about two years old, a year and a half old, in a stroller, just abandoned in the sidewalk there in a stroller. And they're like, this is about the same age as this boy that was kidnapped, this little child. And they decide that that's the kid. And they bring the kid to Chicago, and the mom says, that's my son. Right. Cut to... 50 years later, when we have DNA testing, and the son is now a grown man. He's like, you know, in his 50s. He's always had some kind of misgivings. He always kind of felt like he didn't belong with the family. There was a a biological son that came along, and the parents kind of seemed to favor him. And he has a DNA test, and he's not their son after all. And then the documentary takes us through the process of him finding out who his real parents are, which is an amazing story, and also trying to locate the biological son who was kidnapped and has been living in Michigan for five decades. So it's called The Lost Sons. To me, it's it's an amazing documentary, and it should be a six-part then limited series on Netflix. So you get a good dramatization of this. So that's on CNN. And then there's Midnight Mass, this is a Netflix limited series, pure fiction. Uh, and it's not from Stephen King, but it plays like a Stephen King series. Supernatural horror, seven part series set on this remote island where there's a Catholic church and there's a new priest who comes to town and he starts doing all these great sermons. And then some miracles start happening. You know, all of a sudden, this girl who was paralyzed in a hunting accident, this teenage girl can walk and somebody's mom who has Parkinson's is regaining all of her memories and even seems to be getting younger. All these things are happening, but there's also some sort of winged demon angel that's flying about. And let's just say when someone gets resurrected, just like Jesus Christ, it begs the question, what do you do then when you're kind of the walking dead? So it's partially about spirituality and obsessive religious faith and it really gets all the trappings of catholicism and the mass and the rituals down but then there's also this kind of horror element where it's almost like a zombie movie it's really dark it's really gory it's going to be a huge hit it's called midnight mass on netflix all right scare the shit out of you (laughs) i'm telling you that right now
0: your review just scared the shit out of me that's
1: I hope you'll get comedy
0: next week to talk about <laughs> on screen time, everybody. Well, it, you know, it, it's like what we were just mentioning about television being in the golden age. It is actually probing questions and philosophy of life in a very different way than it ever was. Yeah. The medium takes on eternal questions, controversial questions. It tries to shed light, it tries to scare the crap out of us, which it does on a very regular basis. Yeah. It, it's as gory and realistic about death violence and sex yeah i mean there is no more like you know two people kissing and you just sort of see them fall into each other's arms anymore or just kissing while there's a little bit of a hint Mm -hmm. of motion i mean it's full on the same kind of porn that we stole from the video store back in the 1980s
1: or you had the wiggly screen because you weren't paying for the premium cable (laughs) but i
0: think i saw a boob
1: <laughs> right. No, no, that's no, a ham sandwich. You're wrong.
0: Right. And now you got to have, as I mentioned, you got to have referees for the sex where there's people standing, like, all right, stop it. That's yeah, they guy. do
1: have. Well, that's a good thing. I will say this there have been pre COVID when I was traveling more. And I get, obviously, we get these shows in advance so we can talk about them and I can review them. And sometimes I'd be in an airplane and I'd start to watch something and then I'd realize I can't watch this on the airplane because someone's right. going to look, go, go, the flight attendant's going to walk by and go, oh my gosh. Well, The it's Flight Attendant. Pencil. How about the How about The, 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 how about the show, Flight Attendant? The Flight Attendant. Don't watch The Flight Attendant you, on a flight. You can't because there
0: was all kinds of, you know, getting it on. And by the way, that was another miss in the Emmys. Kaylee Cuoco should have won for The Flight Attendant. Yeah, yeah, Separate yeah. issue. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's just leave it there. The Roan Rubber Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full service, global, digital agency, providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information.
1: And we like to thank everybody who's been subscribing and uh, tuning in and sharing. And uh, we've got a lot of kind words. I had just somebody recently, you know, now you can actually have encounters like in coffee shops. They're not just fictional. Like someone saying, oh, I was in a hipster coffee shop. I actually did run into somebody recently who said, loving the Screen Time podcast. And we appreciate that. Spread the word. Help us out.
0: Executive producers for Screen Time with Rowan Robert, Tim Melanius and Renee Nelson our editor and production director, Damita Menezes. See you next time.